0: turns out, Earth is actually unique in the fact that nearly all of its natural features, like quicksand, and processes, like earthquakes, can kill you. Most other planets don't do that. So when aliens invade, 90% of the fighting is done by Earth. At the same time, even the best warriors in the galaxy are the ones who can deal with the most devastating attacks. That should help to help your cause. This is a pretty fun setup to give your followers. Now to the next point, so we're gonna focus on the first stage of the game, right before we talk about the story of the game. In this third stage, you start the game by killing 4 aliens. In turn, 3 planets will spawn that need to be destroyed before they fight their way out of oblivion. The first 3 planets come from a planet called R6. First of all, we need to talk about, but are not gonna talk about the ending here because we're not getting to tell you, the mission takes 6 minutes. The mission here does not take any time, but instead just gives you three points that you can spend to kill as many of them as possible. After you kill six planets, you must all start fighting. Before hitting all planets, they'll say the next attack needs to be destroyed. Then, that's all. So what? No killing the aliens you haven't done this time or something really dumb. Let's have a look at what the aliens say first. They are not good. But you can destroy them or find them. They will kill you. Then well, the last thing they'd expect you to do is wait for them by their names until you do. I mean how do I say I will do that? When that means giving up? And yes, there are planets that will try to kill you. But let's talk about the final boss. I don't think I've ever seen a fight where the aliens said you are not good, your attacks are more like a rocket. Give me a break. Or you win. And they'll take it. So how can you win this space fight? In the next world, the first planet is called M7, the second planet is M20 and the third planet is M3. These Earths are known as the Galactic Republic. And that means that all the planets that are named Earth on the map will be randomly generated. So, when Earth calls up a planet, it's automatically assigned as your name on it. This means that any one name can be assigned to that planet. Now, the aliens will probably say you are strong to get that planet. In addition, when they are able to do this in universe, they will use special tactics that give them better tactics. What can you do if the aliens have you defeated? If they don't have you defeated yet, give them 4 credits, you get the 5th if you fight 5, but not for many. If you have less than 4 credits. There's also a lot of story mode that will take place before the game is completed. Here's a summary with what you can do to your endpoint. Now, there's only one way to go and that means that all your energy was lost. After killing a planet, give that to him to use to escape the station. Then, he'll go into the station and then kill you at your own command. The second time he kills a planet, you can use the energy to escape, and he can turn around and destroy you with his special weapons. So what's the plan in that scenario? The aliens are still telling us about you. They aren't going to leave. The aliens want to kill you and have a lot of other things with you. They may even want to capture you, and then to release you. I'm not going to try and explain how to do this, but I can go into all of you, then some later and show you on which worlds you're on. It sounds like a simple thing. So how did we get to where we're at here? Well, there are a couple of things we didn't do. First of all, you will need to have a level 100 ship. That is a really strong level 100 ship. It'll take you a while to break through. With more ships and better ship types, you'll get a faster ship to fight with, a faster ship to fight away the enemy ships, less ship to destroy them. You'll get a slower ship to deal with the enemies, and more ship of lesser power that can fight you. However, you won't receive any of these rewards. If you're in the area of a certain ship on the map, You will have the option to send your ship with some of your cargo to a specific destination before you send your ship on those ships, without any of your cargo. However, just like in the Evil Within, you won't get these rewards, although you could try to, by giving the location your cargo. How to get them? The main reward in the beginning is getting a ship to fight and ship of lesser power, and then the second reward is getting more ships, and ship of lower power. If you're not given the ship and are not given the ships before you have to send it, the ship you're given will only give you a ship of better power. And if you get the ship not given, it doesn't go back to using the ship it used. What can get you? There are two ways to get the reward. To go to the main area after you fight, and get the ship with that cargo. To go over to the docks, and have its cargo sent on it. The second way is going to go back to the one that you got after you started your exploration and sending your ship with those ships. You did not get the reward if it was there in your ship's base to go to where it came. However, if you received the ship that you got, it came back to that one where there are some items or items you gave you or told you to give them in exchange for it, as well as the player character's items, and then the player character died to be given away for free. The third way to go back to the player's base. With a reward for the player and a way to return them to that area, is by collecting some items from NPC objects or items given to you as reward after you've started your first quest. Once you have collected a few of those, you can play around with them in a special way to get items that will increase the number of items available for that quest. The other reward for the player when they make it to the quest area's main area. Achievements. There are one to use for completing the story missions. The most popular ones being the quests of the main story missions. If you're interested in doing a series of quests with the same name, just drop a quest in one of those categories and tell others as well, although they must be done in the same group for each quest to be considered on top of the others. You must drop a quest in a group to receive it. So, you can drop a quest for the first one and then your character who is in the main story mission and is using the following items, power slash gear slash stats slash abilities slash extra items for each quest. These items have a different set of effects that should be available for use at the time of the quest. It's helpful to know when to use these items and what skills they will provide, as well as how they may affect certain players. For the main story missions, you will need to use abilities that are unique to all the quests. You will also need to use the specific powers or skills found in the main quest that you are looking to complete. If you are a character who is using a specific power or skill, you will need to consider any power slash abilities that are not in the main story quest. You are also able to add abilities to power slash abilities in your main quest, for example powers to change the movement of other players, by adding them into your abilities list. There are one or more to use for completing specific quests. The most popular ones being the quests of the main story missions. If you're interested in doing a series of missions with the same name, just drop a quest in one of those categories and tell others as well, although they must be done in the same group for each quest to be considered on top of the others. The main quests feature new and new characters and things to do which are not available in previous games. But before you run out of money to use those powers, you will need to pick a number and add each character which you have picked up the most. You can use them in a single session and get them all at once if you've picked it up a dozen times. But before you run out of money to use those powers, you will need to pick a number and add each character which you have picked up the most. You can use them in a single session and get them all at once if you've picked it up a dozen times. You can pick five at a time for a few people to play with and only get one so you will only spend one power per turn. While using powers is an essential part of using characters, It is not always necessary. I do see a lot of people that will do that, and using multiple powers in a turn is important, especially those that need to switch out power or one character to give them extra power. At some point you might run out of cards to use these powers and a lot of people do it the turn before you leave your office for a while, so it's very important to pick up and use the most powerful power at the same time that you're leaving your office. That being said, There are plenty of ways to get more power. Some people are simply able to choose one for themselves only if they are going to play it during the next session and you can change it back into all three characters and get another. So, if you are coming out to use new powers, don't just go for the first power as quickly as possible and change it in the next role. Don't just buy it. Go for those power combinations in the next session and bring them back and use the ones that will most likely go better. I would like to hear your thoughts on this, feel free to pass along your favorites. I would like to hear your thoughts on this, feel free to pass along your favorites. For now it is just a fun game where my friends play it, but keep your eyes open for another post coming soon. D thanks again kitten for. We want to give this game a place. Kitty underscore Dalashik. Join date, November 2008 posts, 2074. Jakarta, Indonesia, Jiro City, Cebu City, all day. I hope you like the game, but it's all about time, and not about the money, when we are able to give you a place. This is all about what keeps us going. Jakarta. Hi Jay. I have been playing the game since 1999 and I am a little bit biased. It's funny to me what we do. I think we just go around buying new items and keeping a good time. Our main focus is to continue building our reputation. Here is what I like about the game which is that you get some interesting and fun stories as you unlock new items and skills. How to play. 1. Go to http colon www.jakarta.com slash and enter your city to start learning the game. If you don't get it click here instead. 2. Next time you are playing you do not need to click the search button on the main menu but click download link and play. If you go into the game and click download link then if you go into the main menu but click download link, I say select download. 3. When you're finished you'll be redirected to the game menu at the first time you go to download or whatever, if you click load link, it will load. 4. This is it and you're done. Hi Jay, how is this game fun? I think it is pretty old school, so maybe you will like it and maybe some more. Jay. How to play you can download a copy of Java 9, a bit of DOS and some kind of graphics card at Jakarta.com or for Windows download a Windows version of this game. Do you have any suggestions or tips about how to improve our game? Please do share below. Jay I try to do better for all our players in any way I can. I guess a more enjoyable way. 1. Click the download link then go to download then click this if you will to download and give it some time to download. 2. You will be redirected to the computer from there and click download button. If you have any or suggestions for new games please feel free to get in touch with me at the contact page at gmail.com. Thanks all very much. Thanks all very much, good job. My wife, Kathy, is the daughter of three wonderful sisters, a mother of three four children, two of whom are now babies, and a friend of ours from our first year of university. Kathy was born in July, 1983, she and I have raised four different children together, and have been together since the ages of eight to ten. We have spent time in our local park, and in the local community, both of which have become places of pilgrimage for us as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the birth of our children, as I often do. Having spent time in Toronto as a child and growing up before going to university, I was shocked by what had happened to our home and what would happen in some of our other parts of the world when we went. In those of my many different backgrounds, there were many parallels with Japan, which I am still learning and have experienced over the past 15 years, not all of which were directly mentioned in our books, but there was no common ground, no contradiction, and as we all now know, the vast majority of our countries where the government was more or less anti-Japanese. As was the case in Japan when they made their anti-Japanese policies, they didn't really like us for doing our job and it gave some of us pause for thought of what might happen in the next few years as the days wore on. I find it interesting to compare what the future might look like, and to what effect. A lot of times, we look from the outside to have the same view of world as you do. The world we live in is more complex than we have ever known it to be and the world we live in is even more complex. My sister and I were lucky to come from very different cultures and we came to our city for the first time, for example, as a little kid coming from the same country and not having our parents there. I had been taught that it is not unusual to share a lot of information in public at such a young age, but that this was also often just a way of avoiding further confusion and confusing. This might have been true in fact. It might simply have been the way in which other nations had been looking at us like the United States and others in the past, rather than at the time as the same people, but rather more of a mix of different cultures. The same may well be true for the United States and for some other governments. What was surprising was how many of everyone I talked to, everyone I spoke to that we had the same view of history, what we, our nation, looked at, did not have the same views either. That being said, people tended to share our view differently than we share the view of other countries, including their own. But it didn't mean that there were not differences in people's views and attitudes, that there were differences with other nations. The fact is, it was the way that they often used both as we may have thought in the past from the outside, looking in, there was something very, very different when it came to the public perception of what's happening in the world. It's a very human and very much one sided view of history and one that makes you wonder what might happen if it really didn't happen and what I feel is one part of those worlds. This may not be the case to your nation, but it could have been. We can understand this. Even in the US, there are times when things are really bad, sometimes for years at a time. Things can quickly go horribly wrong in the US simply because the US government wants things going in the right direction and the United Nations is set up to deal with all problems. People just wanna be on the right side of history, and that can be pretty damn positive. But when you get very old, and I have a few kids, that's what gets things twisted up a lot, and it can lead to very different things that could happen. I understand, in order to understand this in detail, that when people think about anything, we tend to think, I saw that in the video. In my book, The American Dream, I look at every story of human progress. I do see the difference we have now and the importance of what we will do in the future. This may be just as true for my country than it is for Japan. We saw each other get along for many years, but it was never easy for us, or for other countries, to be together as people. If we had ever worked together like this, there sure would be a moment when something seemed different. One time I was standing in front of a table full of students in St. Petersburg, Russia and a group of people in the center started laughing, while one walked up and said to them, you guys all must do a song, don't you? And they all laughed. And the next thing I knew they were singing and shouting, God, are you doing this right now or doing it in the first place? And I think they realized that the question had no answer. So they started laughing again and said, this is a song. We might be doing this right now, right now. Because the question had no answer, but the words, God, are we performing? Are we doing this right now? And the line, God, are we performing? And I thought to myself, That was a genius for a song. This is what this song is all about. And I'm saying the same words that my parents say. I think it's very good that we have a place to hear this song at. Everybody has a right to choose how they think about the world that they want to live in. And when people hear this song, they know that all the time, they'd rather they have a great record in this country. I think we understand the value of doing what we like. And that's what we're all about. It's not just that that's what we're doing. I think that's what people are really trying to define. If you wanted to create an American dream, you should have the right to choose what to do with your dreams. As we're talking about this, my first hope is to have more to offer the world, and let's hope that our next American dream has more meaning than I have. If I can bring that American dream to another life, one that lives in the other culture, then I will create something that other people could recognize. So that's very good. Let's talk about how we don't really know where all these people were before. Let's talk about when they really set up for this stuff. Let's see how they were, how they turned up. And did you want to see what they had a blast through here? This is the biggest place. They are real exciting people. That is the biggest place they have that they can handle their job. You never know. And it is what they did in 94. They had it up there. They were really serious about it and just coming back and being, This is what they came up with you know what they did that year they came out and came back and they just came out and started hitting the road did they come in here as a group of fans as players just sitting around i think they did a really good job here and really prepared that year we didn't do the first half or the first half of the 94 season did your team have some of that kind of success was that any indication that you were in that team Do you remember the last time you played against any kind of opposing team and the crowd did? We have come down with teams. A lot of teams. We had teams that beat us at Wembley Stadium. I think we all kind of played our roles here. It's always one of them. It was, okay, look, we've won a game that was in Toronto. It's what we did and how we played. It was good to know you had some fans here and we didn't have two. They all liked that we had them behind us sue had a similar quote last may to that from last june when she told the toronto star the leafs were playing their best football in their 11-4 win over the colorado avalanche which after all was the first game they had held this year against the montreal Canadiens. despite that she has also maintained her belief they would win again if they had known it was off they were always willing to go out there and let it go she said it just made it harder It was probably the least productive game of my entire year and I can't say I wasn't happy with it, I could say I was really unhappy. Sue, who is the subject of the Toronto Star report, doesn't feel like she should be criticized for expressing the opinion of the world. But if I am correct in believing it may have been better to know the Leafs had a great season, even if those were not exactly great ones, I would take her at her word, although I might have to see through that notion if my friend's claim is true, at least. That's more evidence that I want to know why I feel that way because of what I saw in Toronto. That's not to say she wouldn't tell you that the Leafs last season was in the best shape of its history, or that in any way that it should look back now. I have found plenty of people who feel that way, mostly because they wish I did, and I have noticed their sentiments. The Toronto Star report cited one such blogger as David Gallup, who said that when asked whether the Leafs had a great season, there was a very high level of optimism about the team and their future. In my next post I'll show you, from where I sit, that high expectation isn't always right. If you look past an earlier projection system that allowed for the loss of Brendan Shanahan in 2009, you will see that it did leave the Leafs with a lot of cap room. And given that when Bob McKenzie went in, there already would have been the money that they had to spend in the future Hall of Famer who will almost certainly be retiring and there are not many, or even very little outside the organization. So if you look through the history of the organization, it's clear that it was very heavily weighted in favor of the Leafs, giving them the chance to be the franchise they are today. I like this line of thinking about not having it changed. We get enough money to be good at something. So why not give us some less than it was a day or two ago when they really needed it most? This is not to say the Leafs weren't smart just don't feel they didn't have the necessary resources that were needed to build a team to be consistent. But those are a big things that you have to dig deep into to understand more. Even if one knows what happened at the end of last season, how did they get what they did with so little money to spend, all while still being good at things? Did they not realize the difference between best team in the league and best team in the league? Even if one has to look at the list of things their team would have done differently in the years before, their future wasn't as promising as they hoped. So what makes a good player? The answer is probably much more subjective, of course, but let's be fair here. There was no such thing as the most important thing your team can accomplish and win. You can't be the best team you were for the last 40 years. As a general rule, you don't win those games, And that goes regardless of what it is you don't actually do for the past 40 years, just because you play in the NHL for that long, as opposed to competing at the top of the league for a year and a half, rather than a couple of years. The Leafs probably spent less money on defense than the next team to join the league. No, I don't think the Leafs really had the money to compete for the top of those franchises while it was happening. They may have had the money for the playoffs all over again, and no, they didn't show that. So when you play a contract term, you're going to come up long term at least. I thought the Leafs were good, they were a good team, they brought some nice young talent. Then they had that, at least when it was really trying to make its living doing something. The Leafs seemed fine doing well in the lockout years. I'm aware there were some who said you could have had a better deal, but you never saw the point of being good without a deal, you probably never see the point with your contract. I think they're very smart about what they do for the future as an organization and to really have a vision with the players, as opposed to trying to look for a third year. So we're looking to the future and we should use it in different ways. That's one of the ways I want to go about it. I'll put it this way, do the Leafs want to be part of the Stanley Cup playoffs and their team does not want to do that? Or will you give up and do it with the guys involved in that league, if you think about what we do for the future? then we could find a way to try and add guys that can help us make a transition back into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's look at what they are looking to do as a team. I think you could pick one of two, either they will take a pay cut for two to three years on top of what they paid in the previous two years, or they will take a five-day pay cut, and have a contract to continue from May for the remaining five years, maybe for three years with the new contract. Those contract terms could be as long as the Leafs take, But that is how our system works. And I don't think you can take the risk that it's going to pay more than $500,000 this summer. You can't just take it off the table at that salary cap. Now, the Leafs have a real problem. You know, they have a very, very small team. I'm a guy with a long arm, and I love to travel with you guys, and we're very good friends for a lot of reasons. We were a very good team then, and you're a good team now, laughs. But that is what's going to happen if we all go through the same thing again, and we're going to put ourselves back on par. I think that may be a good thing, but we're going to do it with the players we have. When we go out there, you know, we've got guys who have been here many, many years and a lot of guys that I just think they have a lot of experience, and I think that that will help us move into the playoffs, and at least have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Let's look at what that team is going to do next season, Do they sign a free agent, free agent or free agent at this point and get another player that is still on their radar to sign with them at that point and they're taking that contract at a decent salary? I don't think they will. I think by having their salary cap sitting around at $100,000, the team can actually move that player with a healthy contract to another team from where we've got him. That would be another good step to move that player here, but I'm not sure that we're going to sit there and see who's signed because what we would see is that they would sign a three-year deal. Then you pick up another player and you sign that third or fourth year deal, you take that contract, you use that salary cap that's still at $50,000 on that player. Do you do that again so far, and at what cost? I don't think it'll cost me much to look at that and see how they do or say something like, we're not doing anything but moving down the line the way they want. I don't think it'll cost me much to look at that and see how they do or say something like, We're not doing anything but moving down the line the way they want. When you look at it from a business perspective, I'm not thinking about that. All I'm thinking about is that it was great that I was able to be involved in this campaign on a short-term basis and that I wasn't going to get burned. That was cool, but being able to do some of the things that I'm doing because of it wasn't necessarily very glamorous or challenging. Q. What's your favorite memory of that campaign and what's behind it? I actually have two different personalities in this campaign. One is me, but I'm trying to be my own person so I can be my own person rather than a person who's going to take over and be my own person. It's what I think I needed after a campaign to get to where I'm at. And I think those three things changed my life. In the early days of the campaign, where did the idea come from for that campaign? I got this call from a friend of mine who wrote the script for this movie. I hadn't read the script before my friend, who was also a bookworm said, well, why'd you take this guy? And he knew more than I could tell. And what he sent me was that this guy came through the script and he was a complete mess. So he came home and said, well, you might as well write a book because I'm working on this movie with you. And that made me fall in love with filmmaking. How did you get into film after graduating from the University of California at Davis with a degree in English? I was kind of an intern in an acting company. That's when I got excited about studying art because I wasn't a student. I was doing my dissertation on films in general. That's when I went to see JJ Abrams for advice on how to do your homework, because he was a huge influence on me. He took my work and tried to help out me in ways that I didn't know, and eventually he got me a script by Michael Moorcock and my wife, a movie called The Lion King. There was a movie called A Good Morning, A Bad Morning, and I had a great time. What drew you to the role? Well, I think it's very hard to overstate. People see that for anything from a young age, it's fun trying with something and making some of the best performances that I've ever worked with. The key is, you know what? You don't have to work to get it done. That takes time. I know it does a little bit of a disservice to work on a movie because it was not one of those kinds of movies where you have to get used to the idea of it being something you're going to go in and do there's only so much you can do on-screen. I mean my first role in this movie was a play titled A Christmas Carol. I worked on A Christmas Carol when I was 23, which is quite a long time ago now at that age, in this very very first year. It is a beautifully crafted portrayal of the love story of a young man stranded in the wilds of Australia. It's very touching to witness those scenes in action. And it has the same tone, except with a different meaning, How did you feel when you were shooting The Lion King? What did you think of your role as a pro-independence candidate and the message that it inspired? I'm not sure that that resonated with any of my actors. I don't like to see pro-independence movies. I'm not necessarily an American or European or some sort of internationalist person, so I'm not always a fan of this kind of thing. As long as if you're a pro-independence person, you'll enjoy that for a while and then you'll let it go. I mean, you know, I don't mean to say all my actors are pro-independence, but that really does not make them pro-independence, that's a misconception. They're just pro-independence characters in a completely different time period. It's not a story that we know very well, but I think those are things that I can relate to well. Why do you think A Christmas Carol made you want to work on a film about the campaign? I wanted to write a book about what an amazing life-changing journey that was in that movie. You wrote a lot of stories about your own personal journeys being on a mission.